Well, I'm glad we're here. I'm glad we're here. And it's an exciting passage we get to look at this morning. Um, Next week, we get to start a series in the book of Ruth, which I'm really excited about. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books. Uh, So that's going to be a great great series to go through. Um, But this year, uh, we're going to close out the year in the Gospel of John uh, today. So that's going to be fun. Um, Have you, um, let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to be satisfied in your life? What would it take for you to be satisfied in your life, with your life right now? Have you ever thought about that? Satisfaction. What does it look like? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Culturally, I think that the world tells us that certain things should satisfy us, and they end up not satisfying us. And, and actually, people make a lot of money on this sort of thing. Uh, car companies and, I mean, just, just watch commercials on TV. If you get that next thing, you're going to be satisfied. If you, if you go on that next vacation, you're going to be satisfied. If you make a certain amount of money, if you get that big house, if, if relationships in your life work out, I mean, even if you watch that next sitcom, your life will somehow be more satisfied. You will be more satisfied. And, and it ends up being a marketing angle. You might just find that satisfaction. Lack of satisfaction seems to be pretty normal in our culture. I don't think that's a secret. I think that's what we all wrestle with. So it's an interesting question to ask, what would it take for you to be satisfied in your life? You know, satisfaction, even if we do find it, seems to be a fleeting moment. It's like the difference between once you finish your Thanksgiving meal, you feel satisfied, and then you get into dessert, and then you suddenly don't feel satisfied anymore. Like, oh, I need that piece of pie, right? Satisfaction is even fleeting, even if you find it. So the question today is, what would it take for you to be completely satisfied? And that's a, that's a tough question to ask, answer. And I've thought a lot about that question this last week and, the, and several weeks before as I prepared for this. What would it take for me to be satisfied? And I ran through this, I have this running list in my head of all these things that I want to get taken care of in order for me to be satisfied. I think, though, that if we pay attention to our passage this morning, and I think that if we learn from it, we're going to learn a little bit more about how to be satisfied, uh, because we're going to find something even better than satisfaction. We're going to find purpose, and and satisfaction will come along the way. So we're going to look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Before we get into it, I want to kind of summarize it, kind of let you know where we're headed with it, because it's a big story, and there's a lot of content um, that we're only going to be able to get to part of. So it's the woman at the well, in case you haven't, um, in case you don't know what John 4 is, woman at the well, and the the story basically consists of a discussion, an event, and then a second discussion, okay? So that's kind of the, the way the story rolls. Um, And and it starts off with Jesus at Jacob's well uh, talking to a Samaritan woman. And I'm going to start off by reading chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. So John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. Here we go. Now when he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria named Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And we'll stop there for a minute. This starts off the first discussion. So remember, we have discussion one, we have event, and then we have discussion two. So this, this little dialogue with the Samaritan woman, with this woman, starts off the first discussion. And this interesting discussion goes, takes weird, strange turns, and they talk about worship, and they talk about all these kinds of things, and Jesus reveals to the woman that he knows a little bit more about her than she thought. And it ends with... Jesus revealing to the woman who he really is. And this is a rare thing in the New Testament. Jesus very rarely ever comes out and says, hey, this is who I am. That's very rare, especially this early in his ministry. This is how Jesus reveals to the woman that he is actually the Christ, the Messiah. <clears throat> it's 25 through 26. So the woman said, after they kind of finish up their discussion, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And 26, Jesus, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. So boom, end of first discussion. Big discussion, talking about all these things. The woman is curious and asking questions about worship and understands he's a rabbi. And it, and it stops with Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah. I am the Christ. I'm the one that you think will come and give you all the answers. And you can kind of imagine the woman is having this dialogue with the stranger, and he's a Jew, and she's a Samaritan, and it's awkward on many levels. And, and you can just kind of imagine her jaw dropping open like, wow, this, this guy actually claims to be the one who's supposed to come and save us. And the conversation stops. John is so fascinating how he writes this. This is it. That's it. That's, that's the end of discussion one. And we're like, okay, well, what happened? Is she going to respond? Is she going to pray the sinner's prayer? Is she going to get baptized? Is she going to say, hey, I want to dedicate my life to ministry? What's next? What's next? And we don't know. She just sits there. Okay, discussion one's over. The event happens without John even saying anything about it. We know, but by the next thing that the woman does, the woman receives Christ right then and there. Her name is literally written into the book of life in that moment, and John doesn't even mention it. Isn't that fascinating? Boom, the conversation's over, the event happens, and woman kind of takes a sidestep, and the spotlight turns to the disciples. The second discussion starts at 431. Meanwhile, okay, so his disciples had shown up. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. These poor disciples, they're, all, they're constantly like going down a path they think they're supposed to go and then getting confused and then going, wait, what did he say and how does that work? And this is what we were planning on doing and I'm confused. Kind of sounds like me, actually. So the disciples urge him, um, uh, eat something. And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And verse 33, the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Jesus responds to them talking to each other. That's Interesting. Verse 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And the disciples continue with, with Jesus in a discussion about food and how to satisfy the hunger that you feel when you're hungry. The disciples are struggling. They think he's meaning literal food. And at the beginning, he was tired and he was hungry, but he's not talking about literal food. He's talking about spiritual food and a spiritual hunger, and, and, and their heads are all kind of messed up. 
But the passage ends with the woman who received Christ, the event, she actually does something the disciples were probably supposed to be doing. She brings the whole town back to Jesus. So while the disciples are talking to Jesus about hunger and about food, she's gathering up this town. And as the, the conversation, the second discussion ends, here comes the consequences or the results from the event, the woman receiving Christ. Jesus is hungry, but there's something else going on with him. Jesus is hungry, but as it turns out, he's spiritually hungry. Now, before you, you get too many thoughts about me saying Jesus was spiritually hungry, I don't mean that he needed knowledge. I don't mean that he needed to know God more. What I mean is he was hungry and something satisfied him. And he's trying to explain to the disciples what that thing is that satisfied him. Jesus explains to his disciples that his hunger is satisfied by doing God's will. That's in verse 34. See, it was God's will for Jesus to share with the woman and for her to become saved and for her to understand something that I think we all today need to understand. This story is, is, impacts me every time I read it. The, the social reject goes in a matter of moments from being a nobody to not only being loved and understood that she's loved by the Father, but being valued. Okay, so it's one thing that God loves the rejects of society. That's a great thing. Oh, man, God loves everybody. That's wonderful. But he doesn't just say, I love you. He actually values them. And he values this woman so much that he, need, he wants the skill set that she has. And it's like she gets it in a moment. She goes, this is the Christ, the Messiah. I'm going to believe in him and trust him for my life. And now I have a hunger that I need to satisfy. And that hunger is to do his will. She goes back into town and collects the town and brings him out. God is a God that values. He doesn't just love in the sense of he cares for people. He values people and he desires their skill sets for his mission. I like the story because you can't get a more complete picture of God's love for us than someone, than a God that loves us and then asks us to be a part of his mission. He values us. The best part of the story is that the woman goes from lost to found to contributing in a matter of moments. We, most, my life, I feel like most of my life is spent going from, okay, I'm found, but how do I contribute? I'm not sure. I kind of bounce back and forth going, am I sure am I found? Yes, I'm found. Okay, am I supposed to contribute? I'm not sure. And I kind of ping pong back and forth. There was no ping ponging with this woman. She got it immediately. She's running circles around the disciples in minutes. And the disciples are still going, wait, did someone... Somebody bring him food? I don't know what's happening here. And she's already off on mission. And by the way, I'm, I'm glad the disciples didn't get it because then Jesus explains it to the disciples and that's to our benefit so we can understand it more. So thank you, disciples, for being a little slow on the take. That helps us understand a little bit better. Yes. So how do we summarize this story? How do we summarize it in a way that will benefit 2018? We're standing at the end of 2017 and I'm reading this story to you. So, so what's, this, what's so important about this? This is how I would summarize it. 
Satisfaction comes from accomplishing his opportunities. If you want to know how to be satisfied in your life, it's not the new car, it's not the big house, it's not all the relationships all around you going perfectly well, it's none of those things. Those things come and go. It's actually doing the will of God. And that is the secret to satisfaction. It's almost like when you get so far down the path of doing God's will, you've forgotten about caring about being satisfied because you have a purpose and a mission, and satisfaction comes naturally. It just happens. And all of a sudden, you turn around, and you don't really want any of that stuff anymore because you're so hung up on doing what God wants you to do. Satisfaction comes from accomplishing his opportunities. Lack of faith in Christ produces a thirst that can only be satisfied by one thing. This is the thirst the woman originally had. She, had. she had a thirst. And Jesus used this water analogy, and he says, hey, I have something that will quench your thirst forever. And the interesting thing is, is I'm just not going to give you the water. I'm going to make you a well so you can satisfy other people's thirst. So lack of faith in Christ produces a thirst that can only be satisfied by faith in Jesus Christ. And the woman experiences this satisfaction. But faith in Christ produces a hunger. And this is what's so interesting. And this is part, we, we tend to forget about the second discussion. Faith in Christ produces a hunger that can only be satisfied by one thing. And that's accomplishing his desire for your life. Once we're a part of his family, our hunger starts to grow. And the only sad way to satisfy it is to become a spring of water, giving others around us water. It's so simple, yet we miss it. And we get hung up and we get, we get distracted by all the things in life, all the, all the messages in life that tell us that satisfaction comes from the stuff or comes from relationships or comes from self-confidence or the way I look or the way I feel, all those things do not produce satisfaction. And it's almost like the world knows it, and it's like this crazy cycle. The more dissatisfied we become, the more we desire satisfaction, and the more we look for it everywhere except God's will. And this is what I love about the woman. The woman at the well got to experience her thirst quenched and her hunger satisfied in the course of half a day. She had this thirst that she didn't probably even know she had until she met Jesus. And then she went, wow, I, I do have this thirst. And he said, I can quench that thirst for you, and you're going to have hunger pains. And I'm going to quench those hunger pains because I want you to go get the town and bring them to me. Thirst quenched, hunger satisfied in a matter of hours. Fascinating. The disciples are still hung up on physical food, which I'm sure, by the way, Jesus was physically hungry and thanked them later for bringing the food in. Everybody's got to eat. So Gospel of John was written about 110 AD at the latest, okay? Ephesians, Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians in 62 AD. That's almost 50 years earlier. And listen to how Paul puts what we're talking about this morning. So 50 years earlier, Paul pens this letter. And he says this in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We usually quote 8 and 9, we, we leave 10 off, but, but 8 through 10. This is what he says. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. That's the water Jesus is talking about. Not by works so that no man can boast. This is just a, a pure and simple gift. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's the hunger satisfied, doing his good work. That's what's so amazing about this. It's so simple. Yet we get distracted, and, and by we, I mean I. I get distracted all the time. So what would it like for you to be satisfied in 2018? Can you imagine sitting at a New Year's party at the end of 2018 and, some, and you ask somebody, hey, you got any New Year's resolutions? And they say to you, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm satisfied. I don't, need, I don't need anything. It would be such a, a conversation stopper. We would probably immediately step back and assess the person and go, hey, you don't, probably shouldn't be satisfied with your life. That's how strange it would be. But that could be you. In 2018, you could figure out how to satisfy your hunger. And everything else around you just becomes something that God controls. And you're okay with it. You're okay with what he controls. Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark 9.41, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because of you, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. There's that cup of water thing. Jesus had this obsession with water, probably because they lived in the desert. Be a, a spring of water that wells up to salvation. The woman got it, and she was satisfied. So the only question left to ask is, how do we give water? How do we give people water? The woman figured it out. And by the way, the woman went into a town that probably wasn't too proud of her. We know that because of the discussion that she had with Jesus. She took a risk. So what does it look like for you in 2018 to quench people's thirst around you? I have a couple of suggestions. It, it could look like anything because people are so unique. The way you quench thirst is very unique to that person. And Jesus knew this woman because he was God and he understood what she needed and he gave it to her. It doesn't work quite that well for us because we don't know people that well. But here's a couple of things that have to be present in order for us to quench the thirst of those around us, or, or another way to say it, just to show the love of Jesus to those around us. The first one is transparent faith. And this is something Jesus did very, very well. And, and it's something that I think we have, we have built up uh, uh, false ideologies about it and have made it really intimidating. How do I wear my faith on my sleeve? How do I have transparent faith? The interesting thing is, is I always talk myself out of transparent faith by how big of situations I try to force into. Like, I know what I'll do. I'll stand on the street corner, and I will recite John 3.16 at the top of my lungs until my voice gets hoarse, and that somehow is going to reflect my faith to the world around us. Well, success rate on that is not super high. Might want to consider a different method. But it's not as hard as we might think. That's my point. It, it, it's actually easier than you might think. It, your faith just has to be present in everything you do. And not in an offensive, aggressive kind of way, and not in a judgmental you should or you shouldn't kind of way, but in a, hey, this is me. This is who I am. I've noticed that my, my, my friends that have not yet trusted in Jesus, they comment the most on people's prayer life. I have a friend um, 
that I haven't seen in a couple years, but he would always tell me that the, the people that impressed the most upon them their faith is though the people that would say, hey, can I pray for you? When he was having a bad day, somebody would come alongside him and say, hey, um, is it okay if I pray for that? And that wasn't offensive. That wasn't aggressive. That was just a, hey, this is who I am, and I want to help you. And he said that made the biggest impact on him. We sat down at a meal with, with, with a coworker, and the coworker would say, let me pray for our meal really quick. Is that okay? Yeah, sure, pray. He wasn't a believer. Transparent faith. Don't let people know you without knowing one of the most important things about you, which is your knowledge of Christ's love for you. That's the first thing. The second thing is value the rejects. Jesus did this very well. He always hung out with the people that society seemed to reject. And, and here, this story is another story of the Samaritan woman, this woman that was rejected by her society and rejected by the Jewish society. And, and here she was. And he somehow was able to value her. And this is actually not as hard as it sounds either. Jesus just had a conversation with someone that was rejected by society. He gave her time. He talked to her. He communicated that she had something of tremendous value. He, he articulated her value. And it worked like wildfire. She, she took off. She went and got a whole town of people and introduced them to Jesus. So, she, so we have to value the rejects. Oftentimes, this, this just looks like showing people that they're important to us, caring for their lives, their wants, their desires, asking them how they feel, asking me if you can pray for them. That tells them that they're valuable in your eyes. So first, transparent faith. Second, value the rejects. And third, this one's the hardest one, accept what comes. We have to have an acceptance. And this comes from our faith that God is in control. So we have to accept what comes. If we're transparent with our faith and we value others, we put ourselves at risk for people to judge us, for people to, to not be friendly, to, to even try to manipulate or hurt us. And people might not understand our faith or, or, or where we're coming from. People might see our faith and hate us for it. Maybe they actually understand. And they say, yeah, I know what you're doing, and I know who you're worshiping, and I want nothing to do with it. And so by being transparent with our faith and caring for people, we're putting ourselves at risk. We've got to know that going into it. We have to get ready to be ready to be knocked down and have to, we have to get back up again, and that's not fun. But think of the risk of this woman. She was a social reject. She had multiple husbands, and in that day and age, that was really frowned upon. And the, the man she was with, Jesus points out in the story, is not her husband, also very frowned upon. She's around noon drawing water, which is an indication she doesn't have a lot of friends because everybody would draw water together early in the morning because it was cool. That's hard for us to imagine right now because it's so cold outside. But that's what they would do. It was hot in the desert, so you draw water before the sun come up. You do the hard work first, and then you don't have to go out in the heat. She was out there in the heat of the day. That tells us that she's not popular wherever she comes from. So she put herself out there. She had transparent faith because it was brand new. And she had to value the people that even rejected her to go back to them. My tendency would be like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful gift. I'm a, I'm a well of water. I can't wait to go to all the people that I like and give this wonderful gift to. I'll go to the next town over. They don't know me so well over there. 
She went back to the town that probably had rejected her over and over. So she accepted what came. This woman accepted the fact that she might get run out of town. Maybe this was the last straw. Maybe they were just sick of her shenanigans, and then she's talking about some crazy Messiah. She took that risk. Transparent faith, value the rejects, and accept what comes. The hard part about accepting, too, is that we have to accept the fact that when we wear our faith on our sleeve and when we value those, society doesn't value, we're going to get rejected or we, we could get rejected. If we can't accept this, and I think this is where a lot of us live, if we can't accept that, then we live in a bubble and we don't want people to know about our faith. We're just normal. Hey, we're normal. Everybody's normal. We're okay. Everybody's fine. Instead of being bold with what we believe, that's the struggle. If we can't accept it, we're petrified. We're unable to take the steps, the steps towards transparency or even valuing the rejects. And we just kind of fit in. This path to satisfaction is not fitting in. We have to reject what the world says when the world says, hey, that bigger car, that better house, that better relationship, that more money, that better job, all those things are going to produce satisfaction. We have to reject that. Because that's not true. We know that's not true. Transparent faith, value the, the rejects or the least, and accept what comes. If you're wondering why we need to do it, if you seek satisfaction in your life, you are never going to find it until you arrive here with the understanding that doing God's will will satisfy you. If you've placed your faith in Christ already and you have this relationship with God, you have a hunger deep inside you that can only be satisfied by doing his will. And maybe you've just gotten really accustomed to the hunger pains and you just know what that feels like so much that you've just kind of been able to ignore it. But I'm here to tell you, don't ignore it. Those hunger pains are there for a reason. God wants you to do his will. Allow your faith to be transparent, value the least of these, and accept what comes. And I'd like to say, if you have yet to place your faith in Jesus, you have a thirst that probably seems unquenchable. But it's not unquenchable. Maybe you've numbed yourself to the thirst and, you, and you've told yourself you don't have any thirst like that. If that's you, I would say, Allow Jesus to quench your thirst. Let him satisfy you completely. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity we have just to gather here in this nice warm building on a cold day and think about you and sing songs and worship you. God, I ask that you would guide us in this new year as we celebrate 2017 closing and 2018 starting. Lord, I ask that you would give us the insight and wisdom to follow your word and to follow the instructions you've given us in order to find satisfaction. Because according to this story, the only way we're going to be satisfied is if we do your will. If we find the opportunities you've set for us in advance and we do those things to your glory. So God, I ask that as we leave this building today, that you would give us these indications of what you'd want us to do that we would be transparent with our faith, 
that we would value those around us, especially the ones that have been rejected by society. And we would have the power and strength or courage to accept what comes. Lord, we love you. And, and, and sometimes it's hard to work out in physical ways our love for you. But I ask that you would show us those opportunities in 2018. We love you, Jesus. And in your name, amen.